Hello and welcome to And the Winner Was. My name is Joel Winstead and this is my journey. I'm watching every Best Picture winner in order, starting in 1927 with Wings. With each episode, I'll be covering a different film with a different guest with me today for the third time. Back again, Gabe LaPalambella. Thanks for coming back, man. Hey, man, of course. I'm happy to be here. And you know what? You got the last name right, so this is going to be a great episode already. <laughs> well, you started this thing out, first two episodes, you and me, um, and I'm happy to have you back a couple, couple of decades later. You know, it's just a few minutes, but I'm happy to be back. <laughs> uh, today we're talking from here to eternity, 1953 American romantic war drama, directed by Fred Zinneman and written by Daniel Teradish, based on the 1951 novel of the same name by James Jones. The picture deals with the tribulations of three United States Army soldiers played by Burt Lancaster, Montgomery Clift, and Frank Sinatra stationed in Hawaii in the months leading up before the attack on Pearl Harbor. Deborah Kerr, Donna Reed, and Ernest Borgnine also co-star, nominated for 13 Academy Awards, winning eight of them, including Best Picture. This thing was a juggernaut. And you can definitely see why. Um... And it's it's interesting watching a movie like this now, knowing what we know about how the Academy picks and chooses kind of the more, let's say, supportive films of, you know, the Army or, let's right. say, even journalists, anything yeah. in those areas. So I definitely agree with you. You know, this is a movie that checks the boxes for the time, but it's also a pretty entertaining one to me. Um, you know, like all of these movies, and I've I've gone back and listened to some some other episodes. They all have that sense of of datedness for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, but that's half the fun of something like this is to see kind of this cultural impact, and really how many war movies have kind of emulated that same sort of plot structure, right. um, and particularly that I would say an element of that is the relationship between. Pruitt and uh, Maggio. Mm-hmm. There are so many movies where we see kind of the budding bromance of the military, uh-huh. or at least between two characters. Mm-hmm. And getting to see that first step was kind of cool and exciting. Mm-hmm. And I would go as far as to say Clift and Sinatra really have a solid chemistry with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, making some of the things that happen later, I think, hit a little harder since you're in the hands of capable actors. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah, sure. I, I think they had, you know, there was a, a general camaraderie, not just because it's a war film, but, but like Clift and Sinatra specifically would hang out and like go on like massive benders with uh, James Jones, the the writer of the book, they would all go yeah. out and just get smashed. Uh, <laughs> so they definitely, yeah, they, you know, it felt real. They were having fun on set too. And I think, you know, in a war movie especially, that authenticity is probably one of the most important elements you have to get right. Yeah. Because let's face it, if you're looking at the track record of great war films, you know everyone's not going to make it out at the end. Sure. So it makes that journey feel a little more emotional. Mm. Um, and I know definitely invested me with the audience. If I have to pick something apart, I want to pick apart some of the romantic subplots here. Yeah. Very um, soap opera very soap opera-y, and there's some pretty great moments. Um, yeah. Particularly, I, like, I really liked 
uh, Pruitt's relationship with Lorraine. Oh yeah. Like I thought that was something, something a little more genuine and closer to maybe what we have today. Right. Um, but at the same time, I felt like we don't get quite enough of that. Um, like we focus more on, on Karen, on Holmes's life. Mm-hmm. And he's just not as interesting to me mm-hmm. um, in the same way. So it's, it's tricky with the female characters. You know, I'm not going to go as far as to say the film is sexist. Mm-hmm. I don't, think that's the case with a story like this i definitely think it's more about well it's 1953 so it's pretty much i mean that sexism was permeating the culture for sure for sure but i guess i guess what i'm trying to say and maybe not finding the right word for is compared to some of the things we've seen along the way from the 50s and 60s yeah i would say this is probably a lesser of the two evils Yeah. Yeah, Um, yeah it's definitely still got some some pretty sexist moments like when we travel to the gentleman's club so to speak um, yeah and the, the whorehouse yeah the whorehouse okay yeah let's <laughs> let's throw it out there um, <laughs> you know those sorts of things you can definitely see you know this this very 50 sensibility of gender roles and i'll tell you to bring it kind of full circle to a modern movie as well it was interesting watching something like this after, and I think you've seen it too, after we've both seen Barbie. Uh-huh. Um, and just to see kind of the the gender politics that have been around longer than anyone likes to admit. And I'd right. say that was my biggest surprise here. Mm-hmm. Um, is While it's a war film at its core, it definitely flirts with some bigger ideas. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, so the novel that this was based on was a very subversive novel. It was very um, anti-war. It was very critical of the army. It had a lot of language. It had a lot of violent, had a lot of explicit sex. It had a lot of homosexuality in it. And so they, for the longest time, it was unfilmable, like Hayes Code era. Like they just, you couldn't get away with it. And so they had to do a lot of editing then when they, when they wrote the screenplay for this, but there are things, there are things that, that seep through as far as like the political, Correctness, because I think that you know when Maggio, when when Sinatra, who's great in this, yes. when he's kind of getting um, picked on and he's getting brutally beaten, um, I, I think that there's there's certain coded like like it's I I I kind of took it as he was getting like sexually molested as well during during some of those times. I think that there was there. I think that that there was room for that to be in there um but not only that because like that's that's all in the book and um as far as we're talking about like gender politics and and things like that i know that so burt lancaster um you know war, war sergeant warden and karen holmes uh deborah kerr's character um who's married to burt lancaster's commanding officer he falls in love with his wife and so they have like this secret romance and when lancaster is kind of like seducing her there is there's a couple of there's a couple of times when they're like everything seemed to be going all right with them and then he would just bring up like 
you know, hey, have you slept with other people? <laughs> you know, like, right. like, and he would like get really mad at her, and like there would be like these t- lovers' tips between them because he would bring up like that she she was you know with other guy had with other guys, and and you know I was just like, what? It's just so backwards. It's like you're you're literally like sleeping with your boss's wife. Like why <laughs> why are you mad at her for what? You know. Yeah, and it's it's he's almost still playing a victim in those moments. And it's funny you bring right. that scene up in particular, kind of that whole scene. I think I believe it was the scene on the beach. It's right. it's this weird sort of statement I on male inadequacy and insecurity mm-hmm. that may have not been the intention at the time it was being made. Mm-hmm but I think is very interesting to watch in 2023 where Mm -hmm. we've seen firsthand in some instances and, you know, film and politics and whatever it may be that Mm -hmm. becoming a real thing. And yeah, it it was, it was a very cool kind of full circle moment where, you know, you almost wish you could travel back in time to talk to some of those folks who went to the, you know, matinee showing on a Tuesday yeah just to see if they read those things in the same way um yeah I, it's it's so you know the the idea of masculinity in these days because you know you have like Cary grant and 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 you know uh humphrey bogart these are the huge stars of the time you know in um uh in it happened one night you have um you know t-shirt sales went skyrocketing because Clark Gable decided that he was going to wear a t-shirt, a white t-shirt underneath his shirt instead of just not having any t-shirt at all. So everyone, all the guys went out and got, you know, t-shirts. Um, and, uh, or he, he didn't wear a white t-shirt. He just wore, he wore nothing under his shirt. And so white t-shirt sales plummeted. So like there's, there's this idea of, of these leading men wanting to like look a certain way and like present a certain way. And it's and it's funny because there's going to be a huge shift literally the next year with on the waterfront next year with Marlon Brando and his whole his whole <laughs> idea yes. of like masculinity and like being a man and like that's that's a, it's such a whole another ball game where I, this is still just the year before but it's still very much like Burt Lancaster like that whole scene on the beach like we've all seen that scene on the beach where they're making out in the waves and the crashes and it's like on it's you know you see it during the introduction for the Oscars and if there's any kind of like you know, compilation of great scenes or whatever. It's always going to be in there. You've always seen it. And it's right after that, she, she gets up and runs and, and lays down in, in the sand and he gets up and runs after her and he falls to his knees. And like, she's like, no one's ever kissed me like that before. And then he goes and like lays a big one on her, but it's all through. Like we're looking at, we're looking at Burt Lancaster. Like we see her and like her bathing suit had to be like a certain length and it had to be like a skirt suit and like all this stupid haze code stuff. But like Burt Lancaster is in like these nice little shorty shorts. He's got some great thigh. It's giving great thigh. And he's got like a great bod and he falls on his knees and goes and gives her this huge kiss. And it's like, it's all Burt Lancaster. You know what I mean? Like it's oh yeah, like, it's 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 kind of like the girl is like the secondary you know very secondary in that and and like you know deborah kerr was no slouch i mean she dyed her hair you know marilyn monroe blonde and they wanted her to look like a sex bomb but it that was all lancaster you know what i mean oh yeah it's it's 
this weird pivot where the stars like the Lancasters of the world were the sex appeal. And now that's kind of been turned into the women being the sex appeal. But at the same time, there's not... Those men had a power over the women of their films, almost. This this yeah. infectious yeah. sort of, of stance on them. And I think, especially with Lancaster in this film, he kind of had this double-edged sword of, yes, you know, he's Burt Lancaster. The film came out at a time where people knew his name. Mm-hmm. But it, again, to go back to the point we kind of mentioned off the top, it also celebrated the military culture. And mm-hmm. those two things together, I think ride a line of being almost creepy to a point mm-hmm. yeah in in today's climate and to today's audiences mm-hmm. because we've seen that power in the real world be a bit misinterpreted and misconstrued by people right so so you know for me in terms of enjoyment of the film i would say those moments are probably the weakest because they don't come off as charming they come off as off-putting right 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 whereas before like in the in the time when you're viewing it in the time it's very it was very much taken as like he's the man he's taking control he's he has the power and then now it's just like boy boy (laughs) you know absolutely i mean you know especially to kind of tie it into the real world politics of it all you look at figures like roger ailes at fox news granted he wasn't a military man but he was someone who had a, a sleazy almost charm and not saying Lancaster is sleazy, but that got to the same point as, as uh, Milton Warden does in this film. Mm-hmm. And in turn, mm-hmm. those moments made some of the relationships feel a bit, I don't want to say ingenuine, but a bit queasy to me. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think the Montgomery Clift and Frank Sinatra relationship is so strong and so genuine mm-hmm. and probably the closest to how a modern day bro kind of kinship forms that they mm-hmm. work much harder for me, which also in turn made the ending have that much more of an impact on me. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's, it's interesting to see kind of the power dynamics be delivered in two entirely different ways, because I think, you know, going back, kind of looking at the work of the forties and things, even between men, there was never an equal footing of the characters. They never had the same sort of agency. And, and it was mostly a competition of who was the better man. There wasn't that level of respect like there once was, which is interesting to see between 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 Clift and Sinatra, absolutely. But like the Lancaster and Clift thing, you know, and there was also like a bunch of hubbub around like, you know, Lancaster was nervous to be around Montgomery Clift, and Clift was like a bad had like this bad boy bad boy persona, and and they were both kind of like you know pretty pretty big at the time. Um, Clift was very much like a methody type type guy, um, and I think Lancaster, you know. He just he he's he did the Cary Grant thing. He was just like, well, I'm the tall, pretty, you know, commanding right. presence, and and you know, Clift was just doing it. Was like on a whole other level as far as acting goes. And I think Lancaster's great in this. Oh, yeah. Um, like you know, Clift 
Clift outshines Lancaster just because he's got he's 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 got way more inner turmoil that you can see and that you can feel and um he's got like a he's got such a in his his eyes have such a uh atmosphere and you know it really pulls you in he yeah and you know i'm i'm so happy you brought up his eyes because you know acting emotively but not emotionally is hard to do mm-hmm. and i think his face and just his reaction to things is so effective and you can tell exactly what he's thinking mm-hmm. without him ever having to tell the audience that. Mm-hmm. And I would say, you know, that's something a lot of modern actors tend to struggle with. Yes. You know, they might be able to say a line effectively, but you can't really read what they're thinking on the inside. And here, while the story is pretty straightforward, there is a lot of internalizing and a lot of places to where and I would go as far as to say all of the characters don't necessarily say what they're thinking. It involves the audience kind of having to pick up the slack a little bit more, um, which mm-hmm. is something deeper for this kind of, you know, old school war epic, um, which was really nice to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I agree with all that. And then I especially like because Clift and Lancaster, they shared a couple of scenes here and there together, but there was like it was like in passing. Um, Clift and, and Maggio, and then Clift and Donna Reed had a lot more screen time together. But there's a great scene when Bert Lancaster and Montgomery Clift play drunk and they're sitting yes. in the middle of a road. And, uh, the rumor goes that Clift actually was very drunk during that scene, <laughs> like was literally drunk and, and, and Lancaster was not. Um, but it's, it's really, it's funny and it's endearing and it endears you to the characters. Cause you know, my favorite character is, is Maggio is, is Sinatra's character and he didn't have a love interest. And I think that's interesting because like both Lancaster and Clift have this big love interest and, and, you know, stakes, especially when, when, when Pearl Harbor starts getting bombed. Um, but I, I just loved seeing those two kind of like Titans together and being silly and kind of flexing those acting muscles. And then Lancaster is like doing everything he can to like play drunk and, and do that. And Clift is just actually drunk and still kind of stealing the show. Oh yeah. I mean, especially, actors of that caliber you know and it might go into a bigger discussion of you know those stars and their egos at the time but still to deliver performances in a scene like that or in a scene like that to really make us feel that relationship Mm -hmm. shows how effective it is Mm -hmm. and it was something that i'll be honest i didn't really expect you know you watch and as you're going through the journey right now you watch a lot of these movies to where the datedness of the time period detracts from how much you can be emotionally invested. Mm-hmm. And for me, this is probably the first, you know, 50s film in a long time, kind of that early era of cinema that I felt more for the characters compared to something like a Wings, let's say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was it was cool to see this evolution to where besides just, you know, the actors you can get in your project, they had the writing to kind of help 
keep things invested. And granted, this was adapted from the book of the same name, but still, even in that, mm. we had something that had a little more substance, I think, than a lot of people might have been prepared for at the time. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And just and just seeing seeing the way that like Cliff just like really threw himself into the character, like he he learned to play the bugle and uh, he he took boxing lessons and he you know that's kind of the methody like stanislavski type actor studio stuff that we're gonna get uh, we'll talk probably a lot about it next week on on waterfront with brando but you know a, a lot of people credit brando as kind of bringing the methody thing to the forefront and like there was it's just i just think it's just one of those things that people just say because it's not true there's so many like paul mooney in the 30s and 40s and Cliff's now like there's there's stuff happening like you know even like the director Zinneman said that Cliff forced the other actors to be much better than they really were because he got performances of the other actors he got reactions from the other actors that were totally genuine because Montgomery Cliff like really ingratiated himself into that character you know right right and ingratiating yourself into a character like that in this time period is an easier said than done sort of thing you know, you've got to think about events like Pearl Harbor not having the time. It's not, I shouldn't say, to sit and stew, but not having this time to where the country mourned. This was almost meant to be more of a celebration of the men of that time. And I mm-hmm. think in that regard, it works exceptionally well. Even though, you know, granted, it's coded with some melodrama, it doesn't take away from the mentality of soldiers at that time period. And that's another thing, you know, along with kind of that bromance and kinship of the characters I really liked is Mm -hmm. you see more of maybe what those guys were actually thinking versus the Hollywood screenwriter idea of what they were actually thinking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's it's, it offers a new perspective. Let's say that was really interesting to see, especially in the fifties especially when cinema was still starting to kind of work out the weeds and, and understand good writing and characterization and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I just from watching, you know, there's some movies that get it. Oh yeah. Just, just for me, just, just the best picture winners going through them year by year. You know, I'm sure there are other movies in the fifties and the forties that, that are better examples, but just, just going off of what I'm watching, the best picture winners, there is a clear kind of direction that writing and and acting is going. And and you can see that there's definitely like a, a push, a push against it. You know, even this movie, you know, Zinneman insisted on filming in black and white. He thought that, you know, filming it in color would have made it look trivial. Um, he also didn't want to use any of the popular new widescreen ratios. He wanted it to be like one, three, three, like there was a push to keep black and white and old aspect ratios. The resistance to change was so strong, but the, the new kind of way of filming and the new way of, of acting and, and writing all that is a right around the corner and it's going to start rearing its, its, its head next week episode on the waterfront with both the aspect ratio and with the acting and the writing like it's just it's really interesting to kind of see this new guard 
come in and this old guard really kind of <laughs> resisting and uh you know because at this time there were the marlon brandos of the world that were that were that were doing their thing but there was also burt lancaster you know yeah someone who maybe didn't have the the popularity let's say of a brando but i would argue and say offered some of the same dimensionality to his characters and yeah. it, it's a name that you know people throw around but personally i don't see that has the same level sort of legacy as a Brando figure, because let's face it, these roles as they are could come across as bland. If you didn't have actors to make us connect with the plight, the characters are going through simple mm-hmm. as that. Yeah. And I mean, like, I love Lancaster. Like one of my favorite movies oh, yeah. is a movie um, a couple of years after this called sweet smell of success, Lancaster and Tony Curtis. Um, Great film, Lancaster is really, really good in that um, kind of like a menacing kind of guy, um, using that height as an advantage. But yeah, I, yeah, I'm just you know, it's this is such a, a crazy, I don't know, like experience of of just kind of witnessing it. You know what I mean? It must have been. I can't imagine the 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 back room dealings and and you know drama that that people in the Hollywood system had when when these things were, were going on, you know, the, this changing of the guard, so to speak. Oh, yeah. And again, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head when you say the changing of the guard, because that's what it really feels like here. It feels like this evolution of Hollywood culture into more of what you and I regularly see today, which at mm-hmm. the time was not the case. And yeah, I mean, it's, this one... It's exciting. Yeah. I mean, this one has... There's there's a brothel, you know. There are right. prostitutes, there are gentlemen's club workers or whatever. But that's exactly what it was, you know. There's there's a guy having, um, you know. There was plenty of movies with with affairs, but this one has like a huge like you know love scene like on a beach, and you know there was even you know it was so kind of edgy at the time that there were there were uh, projectionists who were cutting um, parts of that scene on the beach out to kind of keep for themselves and splicing it together. So that if, if you saw a print of this and the beach scene was a little bit shorter, it was because the projectionist uh, took a couple of, took a couple of clips for himself. Took, but, I mean, took his work there, home know, with him as some might say. He took, took his work home with him. Yeah. I mean, there, there's, they're definitely, you know, it's pushing, pushing the boundaries of the code. It's pushing the boundaries of, you know, even what it's implied, you know? Oh yeah. It's pushing boundaries, but at the same time, still respecting some boundaries and not necessarily mm-hmm. deviating from a path in a negative way, let's mm-hmm. say. Um, mm-hmm. Which, again, is kind of a ballsy move for this period of time to where, you know, the code was kind of in a state of flux and there was a lot of uncertainty as how things were going to wrap up. And getting to see kind of this experimental side of things was very mm-hmm. impressive and very inventive for the time, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. And then, like, we, you know, everyone knows that this is, you know, it's about Pearl Harbor. They're stationed right. in Hawaii. So it's just kind of also a waiting game of, like, when are those bombs going to start dropping? And that that whole scene of the attack on Pearl Harbor was... It was good. You know, it starts off like they hear like explosions in the background. They're eating breakfast and they're like, oh, that must be doing some stuff down in the yard. And 
and this gets worse and worse and then eventually they start getting dive bombed and people are dying and there's explosions and they they were able to get some f- actual footage of the Pearl Harbor attack and splice that in which I think don't would not have worked as well obviously if it wasn't in black and white no. um but you know I think I thought it was really well done and the, th- those are all the money shots Th- that's what kind of pushed this thing over the edge obviously the acting was all really great but that those that you know especially being in like whatever this was like 1953 so yes not that far removed from it and um still in the forefront of people's minds yeah yeah and you know to to kind of bring us full circle in this talk once that happens and once the bombs drop there's more of an urgency because we've gotten to know these characters Mm -hmm. and that hand in hand makes for something much more compelling and gripping compared to some films that may get the war stuff right, but keep the characterization paper thin. Mm -hmm. It was, Mm -hmm. it was a very interesting full circle and, and kind of merriment of character and plot um, Mm -hmm. in a way that I will say going in that I really didn't expect. As we were still in this, like we again, like we kind of are reiterating in this transitional period of the era, which has made the whole film much more exciting to me. And at mm-hmm. the same time, made the stakes feel a little more heavy compared to something that could have left us feeling a bit empty. It, it just right. really, and it's moving by the time the credits roll and, and fates of characters are revealed. Mm-hmm. because we've spent enough time getting to know them and knowing how some really do care for one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, and I think that's, you know, sometimes the writing can be a little bit um, too saccharine or maybe like just cheap, you know? Yeah. But I think it's just, that's just in speaks even highly, more highly of, of the acting you know, and bringing, bringing a little bit more down to earthness, you know, cause they had to, you know, in order to appease the army and be able to film at the army base, and they were to have this footage of Pearl Harbor. They had to, you know, have some certain scenes. Like there's a scene where um, the officer in charge Holmes, uh, he's just, he loves boxing and, and like, you know, use his men to box. And if you did well boxing, it, you could get a higher standing in the, right. in the, uh, where you were at. And, and then it kind of turned, he was, you know, he just wasn't doing his job right. And there was fights that broke out that he didn't stop and he let go. And um, he tore, he was t- pretty much tortured Cliff's character. And, and uh, you know, all, he didn't want to box, even though he's like one of the best boxers, but he didn't want to do it because of past trauma. And so he made right. sure all the other people were mean to him. But anyways, he gets, he gets, you know, court-martialed essentially, um, or he gets, you know, sent away to to wait for a court martial or for he resigned or whatever but they had to put that scene in to make and in, there's like a the whole like the army guy that like sends him away is like well, seems like the first thing i learned as an army is that you treat your men right and that seems to be the first thing that you forgot and it's just like right okay i we thank you for the propaganda you know move <laughs> <along>. <laughs> and th- yeah you know and and those moments are there but didn't bother me like they had in the past i would say you know, they're a little mm. more intermittent is, is a good mm. word for it. Um, yeah. Since the focus, you know, and especially you bring up that line in particular, 
especially since that line is so far along in the film anyway. It mm. almost, I don't want to say it didn't bother me, but it didn't make me wince in the same way, let's say, yeah. um, as, as in some others. It's just like the whole, the bowing down to the American military has been a prevalent thing in these best picture winners. Like Mrs. Miniver yes. has like a terrible, terrible couple of scenes in them that, that were added. And, and, you know, there, there's just, you know, Capra has some stuff. There, so it's like, they really stick out to me because I've, I've seen them and I'm like, on the lookout for them. But this movie has a lot more going for it than, than, you know, than just that. Yeah. It's, it down. it's adding some dimension to a formula that now feels a little rote. And, mm -hmm. and as we've kind of, you know, and you've gone over with these films, after a while, they all do tend to hit some of the same beats, the same emotional mm -hmm. heart, um, have some of the same sort of narrative struggles between characters. Here it's different, though, and it's, it's that changing of the guard, like we keep saying, but in a way that's exciting because you know something else is coming and something more substantive is on the horizon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and it showed, I, I would say, Hollywood's capability that this sort of mm -hmm. more substantive thing was on the horizon. Um, mm -hmm. Which, you know, I'm sure as, as you go further along into this this road of Best Picture winners, you're going to see that evolution grow. But this is such an interesting turning point to me and something where you can immediately see its importance in the history of film, just in general. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Which, you know, as we go back as, as film buffs like you and I are, as we go back and see, you know, some, it's harder to see the importance and harder to see why they had that relevance because they didn't speak to us, plain and simple, right. like any film. Not yeah. everything's going to speak to you. This, I feel like, has something for everyone. And audiences are smart enough to know what speaks to them it's it's there's no spoon feeding here either you know that yes mm. like you said there are those propaganda moments but i don't think they take away you know to some extent in the same way like earlier more propaganda-based films do mm -hmm. yeah, yeah yeah no yeah yeah for sure like it, it doesn't doesn't take away from from everything else it has going for it whereas you know other instances are it's just like one more thing after another yes very much so. Uh, so going back, talking about, we talked about Lancaster, talked about Montgomery Clift. I want to talk a little bit about Sinatra. Cause yes. so, you know, I'm doing this because I haven't watched a lot of these movies and I have a lot of blind spots, especially in the, in the, the golden age, you know, the, the thirties through the sixties the really are just like, it's pretty much, I haven't seen anything besides like the huge, huge, huge popular ones. And I, I didn't know Sinatra was in this. Um, so watching it in the previews, the the credits were coming on in the beginning. And I was like, oh, OK. And he's just he's so good in this movie. He's he's funny and he's he plays a drunk really well. He probably had a lot of experience. Um, <laughs> but he brings the he brings the relief and the release. And he's he's a fun like buddy character, you know, like he's like the stoner friend. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, he was he was the Spicoli before Spicoli. 
and you know, an actor like Sinatra, I mean, let's face it, any film fan or, or knower of Hollywood knows his name, knows he has charisma. And yeah, you know, some can argue there's a point to where he kind of played the same role in everything. And that would be all, you know, that would be worthy of criticism if he didn't do it so well. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I think here's a prime example of him doing it well and kind of making the most of material that I don't want to say is below his level, but material that's a little more straightforward than what mm-hmm. Sinatra might have done in the past or even mm-hmm. past this point. So it's very, very excited, exciting to see someone like this who has the levity and can play a good drunk, but also right. hit those emotional moments. And and the sober moments, yeah, because oh, yeah. I mean, so you know, he started. He he was like on a downward spiral as far as his acting career goes when this movie was coming out. To the fact that the studio didn't want to touch him. They they he pursued this role, and they were like, "No, thank you." Um, you know, but he started out doing a lot of like comedy stuff and a lot of singing, and like at this time, his like vocal his vocal cords were were. Uh, needing like repair like they were he was like having problems with his voice especially singing and so there's just a lot of things that were going wrong for him there there's a rumor that he he kind of called in some mob connections to <laughs> go to columbia and be like hey uh get my boy in the picture and and it's supposedly the rumor is that the that this was the impetus for the scene in the Godfather where the guy wakes up with a, with a horse head in his bed. That that's kind of what happened here. That's the rumor. But what, but what everyone's like, no, no, that didn't happen. What really happened is he was married to Ava Gardner and he, she was friends with, you know, the Columbia top brass. And he asked her to pull a favor and and she convinced him to see him. And then he kind of like, you know, really crushed the audition, but, I choose to believe the mob ties version. I think the mob ties is definitely the more entertaining of the two. <laughs> and who knows, you know, to, like as you kind of mentioned, the the little good or the Godfather sort of tie-in or possible tie-in, let's say. <laughs> that movie's a whole other conversation, of course, as many may know. Um, it's still interesting to see and read about the influence Sinatra had. And if yeah. this is a movie where he exerted some of that influence, then yeah. you know what? It's it's up to my ex- and my general appreciation, let's say. Um, mm-hmm. And it just show goes to show, you know, like we kind of said from the get go, he was an actor who, in many ways, was ahead of his time and could really be plugged in to any script that was thrown at him, and would at least yeah. offer that classic old school charm and charisma. Mm-hmm. Um, that I would say, you know, in modern cinema, we don't have. No, I, yeah, I think that, I mean, I think that if he could have gotten some meteor roles um, earlier on, I think that he could have really done some, some like heavier, like Bogart type characters. I think he, I think he had room for that, but um, he just, that's just what I just never really kind of happy. And obviously, you know, like, you know, Manchurian candidate and, and, things like that were, were still coming down the pipe for him. But um, 
I don't know. I just, I really, I really was drawn to his acting and I, I more so than, than I was expecting. And I'll tell you another, another acting uh, actor that I wasn't expecting to, to like, actually there's a couple, first of all, Ernest Borgnine's in this film. And aside from his name being in the credits, I was like <laughs> looking for my, and I could not find him. And eventually I was like, Oh, it's fatso. It's, it's the mean guy, the heavy yeah with the knife fights and i was like whoa not the ernest borgnine that i know no 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 and you know that's the other thing too an actor like borgnine has such an image already and even in a smaller role he kind of becomes this chameleon and it's it's Mm -hmm. cool to see how an actor of his caliber who you and i might know in a more comedic light Mm -hmm. at least flirted with going down a darker path with some roles and and Play characters who weren't likable or who the gruff, you know, wisecracker. Yeah. A funny full circle moment in a way, I would say, in terms of where, you know, I watched him as as the gruff old man versus now. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I mean he does he plays a heavy he plays it well, you know. He's he's tall and menacing. He's got that he's got that look, you know, that, that Borg nine face that he's got yes. in the Oh yeah. yeah. No, it, it yeah. It definitely worked out. Another one that so Donna Reed, I only know Donna Reed from It's a Wonderful Life. Um, she's she plays Jimmy Stewart's wife in It's a Wonderful Life, um, and that was in '46. And just seeing her play such of like angelic kind of sweet person, and then here she's playing a prostitute. I was like, okay, Donna Reed, I hear you. <laughs> like flex them acting muscles. I thought I was I thought it was great. It was you know it was just it was really weird to see her for me, like in that role, because you know, it's wonderful. Life comes on every Christmas and I'm forced to watch that <laughs> crap. I mean, you know, and that's interesting too. You have these actors who went on to, to get into the classics that general audiences may know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, especially with Donna Reed and the popularity of it's a wonderful life. That film, as beneficial as it is, and as you know, important culturally, I would say, as it is, mm-hmm. does have that sort of dated quality, but not in a a clever way, or maybe not a mm-hmm. clever way, but in in as much of an effective way. Mm-hmm. Whereas something like this, it shows that those actors had more tools in their paint box than the screenplay mm-hmm. kind of let them have. Um, yeah. And and that's half of the fun of watching a lot of these older movies, I would say. And just as somebody who mm. is a big fan of the Criterion channel, uh-huh. you get to see these movies where, you know, classic big screen film stars got to flex their acting muscles. And uh-huh. From Here to Eternity is a prime example of that. Yeah. It's, it's a movie where these big name stars got to flirt with a little more substance than they might have had. Yeah. Yeah, I think a movie like this, I think this is a good movie. I think that the Pearl Harbor bombing ending with with Sinatra dying and with um the way that Montgomery Clift's character dies, I think that those stick with you. Uh since I mean they're right there at the end. It's it's kind of a downer ending. And I think that it sticks with you more. So I think that's I mean, you know the, I can see why this would win Best Picture. I can see why this would be like heavily nominated. The acting is outstanding, and, and it's it's got a lot of production value. The directing, nothing really super stood out to me. Um, 
as far as like the craft of that goes, but it had, it's just got a lot of other things going for it. Um, but I think that, I think that if it was just these men on an army base, we wouldn't be talking about this movie. You know, no. I mean, it's, it's that, it's that ending. It's those deaths. It's, you know, it's those, it's the writing, you know, that, that, that brings this thing home and, and kind of seals its fate, you know? Yeah. It elevates the material and it's, it's writing that shows an almost uh, maturity, let's say for the time that I think audiences, I don't want to say weren't prepared for, but, did not expect going into their war best picture nominated epic, mm-hmm. um, which is, is cool to see. And it's cool to see finally, you know, the fifties were much like, you know, it was the middle of the decade were this mm-hmm. turning point. Mm-hmm. And it's exciting as a film fan to see that it happened that early. Let's say that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So yeah. So good overall thoughts. A uh, couple of couple little trivia things. So James Jones, the writer of this book from Here to Eternity, um, also wrote another very uh, prolific war book that brought us another a great war film. Do you know what that is? Oh shoot. Uh, no, I think I it's, do, but I'm too scared to ask. It's the, guess. the Thin Red Line. Okay. Interesting. Yeah interesting yeah. which was it hasn't been adapted a couple of times but then that that terrence malick one is with the hans zimmer score pretty good it's a chef's kiss let's say that pretty good uh uh other some more kind of behind the scenes stuff burt lancaster was the first star placed on the hollywood walk of fame which now has thousands of th- thousands of stars but lancaster was the first one he was the one who shined the brightest some might say shine the brightest some might say uh, so, you know, if you're ever in a situation where you might die, if you don't know that trivia question, now, you know, there you go. That's, Hey, you know what? When that, that's what we're here for. <laughs> uh, this movie, like I said before, the juggernaut, it was tied gone with the wind for the most Oscars won by a single film up to that point with eight. Um, also by, by coincidence, both of those films featured George Reeves in a small supporting role. Um, Did George Reeves was that. one of the George Reeves and gone with the wind was one of the brothers that was going after Vivian Lee's character. And then George Reeves was at a small role here in Hawaiian shirt um, before playing Superman. Um, This film was nominated for 13 Academy Awards. It won eight. It won Best Picture. Uh, Frank Sinatra won Best Supporting Actor. Totally deserved. And, and, you know, Sinatra's up against Eddie Albert and Roman Holiday, Brandon DeWild and Shane, Jack Palance and Shane. Uh, and Robert Strauss and Stalag 17. So, I mean, he's he's pulling his weight. He's doing some great stuff. Deserved win. Uh, Donna Reed, another great uh, role, won for Best Supporting. Uh, Fred Zimmerman won Best Director. It won Best Writing for Daniel Teradesh. Best Cinematography, Best Sound, Best um, Film Editing. Um, and then it lost. Montgomery Clift lost leading role. Blancaster lost leading role. Deborah Kerr lost actress in leading role. Um, it was nominated for best costumes and best score. Um, so it took home a lot of hardware, was nominated for even more. But you know, overall, great film. Do you have any 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 final thoughts? Um, the best thing I can say is that it is a great film and a much smarter film for the time period. 
and a much more mature film for the period in a way mm. that is really exciting to watch. It's exciting mm. to see in a way, the, this, these filmmakers and these stars flexing muscles that we know them to have or, and that right. we knew them to have after this point. Um, and in that way, it's it's really compelling and one of the better old school war films out there. It really is really moved me, mm-hmm. for sure. Definitely check it out. Check it out on HBO Max. Check it out. Is it streaming on Max? On Max? Yeah, That's yeah. Where I got yeah, to yeah. see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I own the digital copy. I should also say this movie uh, was nominated Best Picture along with Julius Caesar, The Robe, William Wyler's Roman Holiday, and of course Shane. Uh, was big that year, huge that year. Um, that's it for this week. Thanks everyone for listening. Next week, I'll be back with Aaron White of Feel and Film. He'll be joining me for On the Waterfront. If you want to watch that and be ready for next episode, you can rent it for a few bucks on Amazon. It's not streaming anywhere that I could find. You can find this show on Twitter or X or whatever the hell it's called at Winner Was Pod. <laughs> you can find us on Facebook and the Winner Was Podcast. I am on Letterboxd. Find me over there. Email the show. Tell me what you think. Winner was podcast at gmail.com. Gabe, where can we find you and your work? Find me on letterbox.com, Gabe underscore Lappa. Um, head on over to really good movies, R E E L L Y dot blogspot.com. And if that isn't enough, Gabe, for you, head on over to Movie Web as well. Movie Web, yes. Um, thanks again for coming on, man. I'm sure we'll see you again in the future. Uh, big thanks to Casey Townsend at Waterway Music for the intro and outro music you can find him at waterwaymusicnc.com